reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, and verses 1 to 14. And it's headed, John the Baptist prepares the way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonitis and Lysinus, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you come to bring your truth and your peace. Come and open our hearts to your word as you open your word to our hearts so that we might receive with thankfulness and act with integrity. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, Advent is indeed a time to act. A time to act, not sort of doing lots of things and adding to all the frenzy of this Christmas season, but a time to act on what is important. On what is important. There's always so much to do. And we can easily be ruled by the tyranny of the urgent and forget what is of real significance in life. So I want this morning to invite us to pause to reflect on that question, what is truly important in life and in our lives? It's one of the biggest questions we can ever ask. It's one we need to review from time to time. What is really important? David Attenborough was addressing on Advent Sunday, kicked off Advent by addressing some 30,000 delegates from 196 countries in Katowice in Poland. And his message was really quite important. And we've just got a clip, is that right, Dave? We can play just the first bit of his speech. So, Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. Our greatest threat in thousands of years, climate change. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. The United Nations provides a unique platform that can unite the whole world. And as the Paris Agreement proved, together we can make real change happen. I wonder if the significance of what he said really went home. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. <laughs> Not over the horizon, on the horizon. We can see it. We can see it happening. The collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of our natural world. I don't think it gets much more important than that, does it? And yet, if you go on to the end of that speech, the delegates there were sort of like... A very lukewarm response. Just like, oh, well, we've heard David Attenborough's bit now. Let's get on with the other things. It was so, so telling and so sad. Because the world leaders, of course, are caught up with the price of petrol in Paris and making sure that Britain gets the best Brexit and all the stuff that is of immediate significance right now, instead of looking at the long term. And, well, it's not such a long term thing now, is it? John the Baptist knew how that felt. He had a message of staggering significance. And yet, so few listened. His message was taken directly from Isaiah, 
the prophet's words recorded in chapter 40. The Lord is coming. Prepare the way. Get ready for an event in history that will transform the world. Indeed, it will turn your lives upside down and completely around. All people, he says, quoting Isaiah, will see God's salvation. God is about to reveal his way of life in all its fullness. How he was about to do it was beyond all human imagining. What does his salvation mean? Well, let me show an image with you that I felt was very, very telling and memorable. It's an image that, I don't know whether you can see really clearly what that is, but I found it on the walls, a huge painting on the walls in Miami in Florida when I was visiting my best man over there earlier this year. And if you can see at the top left-hand corner, there's a hummingbird. And the hummingbird has lost all its color. And all the colors that were full of that hummingbird are raining down on the girl who's lying there with a sense of contentment and peace. <coughs> Giving himself up for humanity was what Jesus' mission what was the most important thing for him was all about. Giving up his self so that we might experience the quality, the color that is only found in God. I remember one person saying years ago to me when they first found God's salvation, they first made that commitment of receiving the life of Christ and responding to the invitation of Jesus to come to him and to lay everything down before him to lie as it were, just totally surrendered before him. It was like my life went from black and white to color. I think that's why that painting struck such a chord with me. God's coming to us in the incarnation, the mystery of God becoming man brings hope of salvation for all. But of course, as John makes it clear, that requires a response. John calls his people to respond through baptism, to act now in the symbolic way that has always been used to surrender oneself, to turn away from that which is cluttering up our lives and to be open to God, to turn to Christ and receive all that he has for us. He is preaching, says Luke, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and receive God's forgiveness was his message. And you can do something. You can repent. You can be baptized. But it's only God who can forgive and give again the life that has been lost. Now John the Baptist is always known as the pointing prophet. And there's a wonderful picture going back uh, three centuries earlier by Matthias Grunwald of John the Baptist pointing with the word of God open, the prophetic word of Isaiah open in front of him. But he's seeing in that word, word 
the direction of travel that speaks of the one to whom he points. This is just a detail of a bigger triptych, which you can see now regards Christ on the cross as the one to whom he is seeking to address our attention. He points to Christ and Christ crucified. He points to the one who he later calls the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is Christ who makes it possible for that sin, for that color, that life to be poured out upon us because of his sacrificial death at Calvary, the giving of himself up for others. And of course, the Jews there, as we heard in that reading, saying, well, you know, we're, we don't need to do that. We don't need to go to this baptism because we're, we're fine. We're, we have Abraham as our father. You know, we're children of God and all that's okay. But John says, look, well, he says more than look. He says <laughs> very, very strong words, you brood of vipers, for example. He doesn't uh, mince his words. And he says, look, don't think you can call Abraham, don't you can, you can rely on just being children of Abraham. You know, God can raise up stones, give God praise, but rather do the things that show that you truly are God's people. If you are God's people, live like God's people. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he says. And so the crowds come to him and say, well, what should we do? Give us some examples, John. This is a, a great encouragement to all of us preachers who love to waffle on about theology and in, in information. He says, Give us some application, John. Stop all the theology stuff. Let's hear what we're supposed to do. So here's his practical application. He says, so anyone who has two shirts, share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food, should do the same, share. Tax collectors came to be baptized. That must have been quite something to see. What should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he said. And even soldiers, the Roman soldiers were there saying, well, what should we do? We've been convicted. We need to respond to this great invitation. What should we do? Don't exhort, exhort money and don't accuse people falsely, but be content with your pay. In other words, live generously, and act ethically. That was his message. And if we too are seeking genuinely to live the life that God desires for us, we too will want to ask the really big questions. What is important for me in my life? And what does it mean to live that life in practical terms? What am I being called to do about it? Sometimes I am very struck by the prayer that is often prayed at funerals. And in the face of mortality, our mortality, it has even more poignancy. Give us, good Lord, the wisdom and grace to use aright the time that is left to us here on earth to turn to Christ and follow in his steps in the way that leads to everlasting life. Is there anything more important than that? As we seek God's wisdom 
and the grace to use in the best way possible, the time that is left, whether it's the time before we die or it's the time before Christ comes again in his glory. It answers the question of what's most important, to turn to Christ. Words that we say in our baptism promises, to turn to Christ, to look at Christ on the cross and to see what he's done for us. Let his love draw us to himself and to follow his steps, to walk in that way day by day. It's a way that leads to everlasting life. And we have opportunities to do that now. So as we ask what's important, we might come up with all sorts of different responses. I've just been down in Quakers Road at 9.15, and uh, I'd, asked, I'd had a conversation with Rosie Lancaster, who is two years short of 80. And I asked her to share about something that she is going to be doing. And she did. She said, for all my life I've had this passion for mission, and I've always wanted to be somebody who goes and shares something of the life of God with people abroad. And the opportunity came to go with Richard and Jan Bacon to Kumi, to Uganda. And she said, look, I'm nearly 80. I'm not going to do it now. I'm never going to do it. I'm going to do it, she said. And so she's going to Uganda. Do the things that really matter, says John, that matter in God's sight. It may be that people have a real heart for the plight of refugees and a passion to do something that will make a difference for them. You know about the shop in Soho? The shop that's all about love in Soho? Well, love for the refugees. As was reported in the press, shoppers flocked to the high streets to grab Black Friday bargains recently. Crowds of people queued outside a pop-up shop in the central London in order to buy presents for refugees. Choose Love in Soho, the name of the shop, run by the charity Help Refugees, encourages visitors to, quote, shop your heart out, leave with nothing, and feel the love. <laughs> of course, what they do is they buy all these wonderful things. They don't go home with anything because all the wonderful things are for refugees. Coats and blankets, legal support, health care. Last year, in its first, first in business, the store and its online equivalent raised three quarters of a million pounds. They're doing something with a passion that God has given them to do it, to stand alongside refugees in London. It might be a big thing, it might be little things, just like Layla with her emails. She told me the other day, working for the CAP, she says, I don't go onto my emails till 12 o'clock most mornings because I know that I won't get the important things done if I get onto my emails and they'll just take over all my time. Put the important things in first. In emails will be important, of course, but maybe more important things to deal with. Somebody came to choir practice at the beginning of our time, practicing for the Christmas choir. And he said, I said, well, it's great to see you. Why have you come? Well, we wanted to get to know more people in the church. 
They felt it was important to build relationships with people. And by coming along to choir, I guess we'll get to know some people. And they have. They've just acted on it, done it, and made it possible for people. Hang on a second. I'm just going to have to pause a second because Anna's uh, fallen in her chair. Are you all right, Anne? Where she? I think um, she's okay. That's it. Looks okay. Father, we just pray for Anne and for John, and we thank you for sustaining her and being. God to her and with her at this time. Let's pray as she recovers uh, that you would uphold her and uh, lead her into good health. Amen. So, there are things that we can do to act on what is important. Thank you, Andy, for that. Just lastly, one simple example uh, that is very current at the moment. We know that worship is of central importance to what we're about as a church. And we've got every intention of making sure we come regularly on, on Sundays, gathering together whenever we can. It's a priority. We're passionate about seeing God's kingdom resourced and make it possible for the work that God wants done through this church, with children, with youth, with the poor, with those in debt, with every aspect of mission and ministry. We want it to become something that is enabled by our giving. And we have a huge amount of money coming in to this church to be able to do that, for which we're hugely thankful but our income has gone down a little bit, as you may have seen in the parish uh, um, Christchurch News. And we're facing a debt this, this year, a, a shortfall. And so the Giving for Life team looked at one of the reasons for that. And one of the reasons that we've identified is that there are a large number, exactly 62 people, to be precise, who are not in the planned giving scheme who are a regular part of Christ Church, but they're not in the planned giving scheme, which it means whatever they're giving means that they can't have gift aid attached to that. That's 20% of what they give. And so Paul and I have been gently approaching one or two people who are not in that planned giving scheme, not to ask them to give more or anything like that, but simply to ask why aren't you planning that giving, thinking about it, and making it possible for us to claim back gift aid. It's a bit of a nervy thing to do. <laughs> I hate doing it. But you know, the answers we've had have always been really positive. People have said, oh, thank you so much for reminding me. It's something I just haven't got round to doing yet. It's not that they don't want to give. It's simply that they just haven't got round to doing it. Like I didn't get round to gift aiding my donation to children in need. And they sent me a text and it says, would you like to gift aid? They said, oh, I'm too busy to do that. <laughs> it's easily done. 
but it's something that is an action that follows on from an intention. And God calls us to follow through on those things that we are intending to put at the center of our lives. So just to conclude, Tom Wright, in his commentary on Luke 3, wrote, imminent days need urgent action. Imminent days need urgent action. And we don't know how long it is before the Lord returns. We don't know how long there is left for us here on earth. But we do know that whilst we have breath, whilst we have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to think of what is truly significant in life and how can I act in order to make those opportunities a reality. There is an urgency about how we live that is called out from the New Testament. There is an urgency to look to Jesus, to point to him, and then to act on the things that he tells us and to follow through those intentions that will produce fruit in our lives and give glory to God. So let us pray.